0: are listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8, please. Uh, I want to give you something you can carry out of here with you a little bit. I... And I want you to look with me, beginning at Romans chapter number 8, please. Looking together at verse number 31. Romans chapter 8, verse number 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know, someone said that there are 8,000 promises in this book that you hold in your laps this morning. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I've never uh, gotten a cup of coffee and sat down and just started counting all those things through there. I I, I just take them at their word. Around 8,000 promises in here. We're not going to examine all 8,000 of them today. That would be a little bit uh, foreboding. Some of you are going to panic right now. But we're not going to take a look at some of them, and I hope that it's something that will help you. Beginning in verse number 31, I'd like to take a look at the first promise. I call it the promise of assurance. By the way, some of you by now are needing to know the fact that God is on your side. The devil's already come. He's already whispered in your ear that nobody cares. God does not care uh maybe the faculty and staff do not care he'll tell you all kinds of lie number one that's a lie i know i care i know this man back here cares i know brother trevor cares i know the other staff care and he's a liar and the father of it don't give it any credence but just in case you're wondering god said i want to put it down on permanent record that i care he said, uh, he said, what shall I say to these things? What shall I say to those in this room that feel like nobody cares? What shall I say to the young lady that maybe goes to bed at night and her heart's troubled because she's having a tough time? He said, here it is. If God before us, if I'm on your side, name me somebody that can be against you. And the answer to that is nobody. By the way, the most effective enemy that you and I could encounter is none other than Satan himself. And when the Bible recorded for us that the devil rebelled against God, he developed what they say the I problem. I will ascend to the sides of the north. I will be like the most high. I'm going to sit down on the throne. And God said, you know what, devil? I've had it with you. You're not going to stay like this. I want you to get out. And when God cast Satan out of heaven and cast him down here, the Bible says he fell as a star that falls, leaving behind a streak far as I know, he's the first streaker recorded in history. But let me tell you something. He has no power against those of us walking in the parameters of the will of God. Promise of assurance. God said, if I'm on your side, walk tall and walk proud because ain't nobody can bother you. Then he says this, a second promise. Verse number 32. He that spared not his own son... By the way, that's sort of setting the foundation for what he's promising here. He said, in case you're wondering how much I love you, I spared not my own son. In case you're wondering if I can take care of your needs, I spared not my own son. In case you're wondering if I care if you can pay your college bill or not, let me record something for you down here in the book that's going to last forever. I spared not my own son. But he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Look at this. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You mean, Brother Davis, if I want a Rolls Royce, he's going to give me one. He's going to give me all things. He'll give you anything that's his will to give to you. And by the way, His will, as far as who He wants to give to us, sometimes is determined by what kind of stewards we are with the gifts that He's already given. If you aren't tithing on your current income, don't go beg God for a raise. I don't think it's coming. If He can't trust you with what you have, don't ask Him for more. But that one who's demonstrated that I am using what God has given to me for the ministry and the glory of God, the Lord looks down and He says, you know what? I planted some seed in that field over there. I've gotten some crop return on that thing. I think I'll put some more. And He said, listen, I can freely give you what I want you to have and what you need for the cause of Christ. One of my staff members years ago when I was pastoring out east, came to me and said, he said, Brother Davis, I'm not coming and talking to you as my employer. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to adjust my salary or my, my income. I, I know the situation of the church and you've got it all budgeted out. He said, I'm not coming asking you for that. He said, but I'm coming to you as my pastor because I have trouble and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, what is it? He said, I'm driving right now the same car that I had when I was in Bible college. And this is a few years out of Bible college. And the car he had in Bible college wasn't much. He said, I'm driving that same car. He said, it's getting so bad that sometimes it'll break down on the side of the road when I'm out making visits and I'll go make a call on someone and get back in it to start the thing up and it's sitting dead in the driveway and I've got to call AAA to come and and haul me home or jump start me or say it's embarrassing he said i'm not complaining and i i'm not I'm not discontent he said but 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 i need a car and i i just i don't know what to do i don't have the money i can't go out and get one i can't necessarily go into debt for it and don't have I can't support the payments Pastor, I'm, i'm kind of i'm stuck here help me i said well what does, a, what does a car cost? Back in those days, this was in the mid-70s, maybe the latter part of the mid-70s, and back in those days, you could buy a nice new car for around $10,000. Now, now today, you can get a used Yugo for $10,000 and maybe have wheels and a steering wheel, and that's about it. But back then, $10,000, you could buy a nice car. And um, I said, so so what you're telling me is you need a ten. Thousand dollars answer to prayer. And in those days, $10,000 a year was what some people made for a whole annual income. He said, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but I guess you're right. I need a $10,000 answer to prayer. I said, that's a lot of money, isn't it? He said, yes, it is. It was a lot then, it's a lot now. He said, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. I said, do you think that might come under the category of when the Lord is speaking, when He said, this kind cometh only but by much prayer and fasting. And He finished the statement just like you did. He said, you know, you're right. I said, have you prayed? He said, well, I've prayed a little bit about it. He said, mostly i have just kind of worried. By the way, being very honest. Isn't that where a lot of us are? If we tell the truth, mostly we just worry Pray a little bit, but mostly we just worry. I said, okay, you prayed a little bit. I said, how much have you fasted about this? He said, man, I'm ashamed I haven't fasted at all. He said, I can't believe it. He said, I, I, I know this. He said, man, I'm sorry. I said, no, don't be sorry. I said, this kind cometh only but by much prayer and fasting. Man, he walked out of the office, and Brother Duffer, I, I looked at him, and I said, you know what? I need that too there I was pastoring the church and I had all these needs as for the ministry and I'd been praying a little bit and worrying a little bit more and trying to figure out and I said you know what if he needed that and I needed to be reminded of that maybe our church folks need to be reminded about that too so man I got into Bible and studied, and started working on a message and Sunday morning I preached a message on this kind cometh only but by much prayer and fasting I said, some of you ladies out there have unsaved husbands and you're walking around wringing your hands and you're wondering, what am I going to do? And you walk up to anybody that'll listen and say, pray for my husband to get saved. Pray for my family to get saved. But you have not prayed and you have not fasted. I think you're throwing one of the best tools you have to accomplish your task in the bottom of the toolbox. We need to this morning examine ourselves. Some of you have unsaved wives here, you men. Some of you have unsaved sons and unsaved daughters and parents and, and grandparents and aunts and uncles and we walk around and we worry and we wring our hands and what we need to be doing is fasting and praying and we don't we wonder why we never get the answer maybe that's why boy i went down uh, different things and and finances and health and and different needs and so forth and gave the invitation man is one of those uh, down home they call them gully washers i mean uh they, just everybody came, and uh so much so that the aisles just filled up, and people were kneeling there at their seats. One of the men, about halfway back in the middle section of the auditorium, had made his way out to the aisle, wanting to come forward, and that's as far as he got. Could not could not go forward. Folks were kneeling in the way, and and he was standing there, and he caught mine and he began to motion for me to come back to where he was. And Dr. Jorgensen, I remember looking at him, and I, I thought to myself. I don't know why that guy's coming. I know him. He has no needs. and he's got money. He's got, got a home. He's got cars that are paid for. He's in good health. His family is saved. They're in our church here. What's he responding to? I know why some of these others are here. And one of my, my staff members that had talked to me in the office, he and his wife are down there crying and praying together. And So I made my way back to where this man was standing. I said, what is it? He said, Brother Davis, I, I was listening to the message. He said, I thought, you know, I'm finally sitting through a sermon I don't think I'm under conviction about. You ever been there? I mean, you, you finally think, praise God, I finally made a message where I don't have to run to the altar. I mean, you, you, you'd you gotten everything in order, and as far as you knew, I mean, your tithing was under control, and soul winning, and Bible reading, and prayer, and and, and you hadn't kicked the dog, and, and everything is going just right. I mean, you're, you're all right. He said, but then all of a sudden I was standing there thinking, you know, I finally made through a mess. I, I don't think I have to respond. I think I'm okay. He said, but all of a sudden it was like God took an ice pick and stabbed me in the heart, and I don't know what in the world it's all about. I thought maybe you could tell me. I said, well, what is it? He said, I don't know where this came from. He said, it wasn't a loud voice. I didn't hear it like, like words. He said, but I know God's dealing with it. He said, I just know that I know it. I said, what do you know that you know? He said, God wants me to give my car away. And I'm wondering if you knew anything about it. I said, yes, I do. I, I need a car. <laughs> I've been praying about it for about 30 seconds. And uh, I said, man, i got to ask you a question. Did somebody come and give you a prayer request? That's how we Baptists do that, you know. I call it Christian begging. You find the richest person in the church, and you go to that person and say, Dear brother so and so, or dear sister so and so, would you pray with me? I have four bald tires on my car. And I want you to pray that God would put it on somebody's heart to buy me some tires. That's—they never go to the poorest family in the church and tell them. It's always the most well-off people. I said, "Has somebody come and done some Christian begging? I mean, uh, prayer requests to you?" He said, "Brother Davis, I don't know what you're talking about. No one said a word to me about the tires. I don't know what you're talking about." I said, have you overheard? See, I was still kind of like, Wow, this is this is amazing. I said, Have you heard somebody talking about needing to get? He said, Brother, no one has talked to me. Haven't heard anybody talking to anybody. All I know was I'm standing here, not having to go forward. Thank God. Finally made it through an invitation. It didn't feel like a dog. And now and all of a sudden, ice pick in the heart. Give you a card. He said, Do you know who's supposed to get it or don't you? I said, yes, I do. He said, fine. Reached into his pocket and pulled out these keys to a brand new, about two-week-old, Chrysler Cordoba. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to some of you because they've kind of retired that, that, that model, but it was the top of the line, brother. It, back in the days when you just basically had steering wheels and tires on the ground and maybe an AM radio, no air conditioning, no. this thing was had, had power door locks, had power seats, power windows cruise control, air conditioning, AM, FM, 8-track. <laughs> We're in the 70s. Come on. It was a big deal back then. But, I mean, it was loaded. Rear window, defroster. Brother, no one had that. You didn't have that unless you carried a little monkey around the back that wiped it off for you. I mean, we just those things didn't exist. And he said, here he said just give it whoever i don't even care pastor if, if you know and and god knows and you just give it away let me know tomorrow i'll go down to the motor vehicle place and sign the title over to him. it's theirs doesn't co- it uh, doesn't cost them a penny i'll pay for whatever transfer fees are involved just here and he gave me the keys man i called that staff member and his wife into my office after the service that morning and they came in there and I said, "I saw you down the altar praying." I said, "I have a suspicion. I know what it was you're praying about." He said, "Yes, brother Davis." He said, "You know what?" He said, "I know God can do it. I know God. I know God can answer prayer, and I know He does. But I just have a hard time believing that He's going to do it for me." You ever felt that way? I have. Though by biblical. Lord, I believe. Can you finish that verse? Help thou mine unbelief. As we believe, but. He's going to give the car to Dr. George. He won't give it to me. He'll get Brother Trebo. I'm I'm not going to. I mean, God doesn't do that for me. He just does that for everybody else. And I said, well, he's heard your prayer. And he's answered your prayer. I said, I have something to give to you. And I handed those brand-new Chrysler Cordova keys over into his hands. And and when he looked at them, he looked back up at me. I said, yeah, brand-new car sitting out in the parking lot. It's yours. He fell down to his knees and his wife fell down next to him. They threw their arms around each other, started hugging and crying and wiping her eyes and just having a spell. I got down there and had a spell with them. I said, dear God, I want a car. How come I can't get a car? <laughs> I believe, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. You do it for him, you just won't do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> About that time a knock came at the door, opened up the door, and there stood the man who had given us the car. I went, oh man. He's got givers remorse. He's not gonna oh he's gonna ask for the keys back. He meant to give him the old run down car in the in the in his driveway. And I said, Yes, sir, may I help you? So crying and so folks they're in there crying. They still didn't know who it was from yet. And uh, he said, Yeah, Pastor, it just occurred to me I, I gave away my car, I don't have a way to get home. You think you could get me a ride home? I said. I think. I said. I bet someone right in here take you out for a steak dinner on the way home. You say, Brother Davis, that really happened. That really happened. Why well, I wish that would happen for me. You know what? If God saw that you were a steward of what you have, and what you had no longer worked, and you needed something else, I think you probably will see it happen. I got on an airplane to fly to Arkansas to preach. Last summer, my wife had to borrow a car to take me to the airport because I have two cars. had two cars. Both of them were broken down. Just wear them out as an evangelist. I mean, just it's like disposable Bic razors. I Just wear them out. And uh, it had 200. The, the, the one that I was still driving, the other one had, had broken down at 186,000 miles. This one had 210,000 miles on it and just and gave up the ghost. said, okay, enough is enough, I'm tired, I'm retiring, leave me alone, put me out to pasture, get around on a bicycle, I don't care, I quit. And my wife dropped me off to go to this meeting in a borrowed car. And I felt, Brother Duffer, I felt, yeah, I felt, I'd I leave my wife with a borrowed car, and maybe I can't supply for my family, and you're no good for nothing, bum, and 48 years old and, and and you don't have anything and, and i got i feel a little bit down the mulley grubs and i was kind of praying I said god I, I need a car and i didn't want to go have another four or five hundred dollar payment and insurance and all that goes along with that had at that time and and uh i, I just said lord I, I just i don't know what to do and, and it's just not fair It's out there preaching one of the men in the church who happened to be a multi-millionaire, not in the church, but a friend of the pastor of the church and had grown-up boyhood uh, friends and was there that, that weekend and had heard me preach. And I didn't say anything. I, didn't, I, I, ne- I never say a word. When I travel, and, and you guys just I mean, you figure that you can ask your preachers. I don't go in and say, now here's what I need. Please pray for me. Oh, and, and rent's due, and, and the car's low on water. and, and I, I don't do all that junk. I just don't. I don't don't like that, and uh, don't and I don't send letters out to the churches saying you know please do this and that and give me a, I need a truck and a trailer to travel around and haul my family. I just don't I don't feel comfortable doing that others do and that's fine I don't care but I just can't do that and I hadn't said a word, and a man came up to me after the service he said Brother Davis he said I have a Lincoln Town car. it's my favorite car it's not brand new but it's nice. He said, Do you need a car? And I thought back to those times when my mother and father would take us someplace. And they would say, Boys, at five boys, Boys, you go over to this house and those people ask you if you want something, you tell them no. We're not going over there to be like a bunch of locusts pilfering through their cupboards. You tell them no. You're not hungry. I remember those, sometimes those dear ladies, Hey, boys, would you like a cookie? <laughs> no, I'm on a diet. <laughs> 11 years old on a stupid diet. No, I don't want a cookie. Want a piece of pie? No, I don't want a piece of pie either. How about some chocolate milk? No, I don't want a chocolate milk either. And for just a moment, I saw my mom and dad look over my shoulder when he said, do you need a car? No, I, I, don't, I don't need a car. You just keep it. I don't want it. Then I thought, they're not here. <laughs> I'm in Arkansas. They're in North Carolina. By the time they hear about it, I'll be out of reach. I looked at that guy and said, are, are, are you serious? He said, yeah. He said, I want to give you this car. I had big tears well up my eyes. I said, sir, my wife dropped me off at the parking lot at, or at the airport in a borrowed car because both of mine had just given up the ghost. I said, if you are serious and you, and this is of the Lord that you're doing, I said, I don't want to say except thank you. So I drove a Lincoln town car home from Arkansas. Couldn't afford the gas, but I was driving a town car on the way home, brother. Waving to people on the way by. Hey, got a town car. Hope you like you go, Looks pretty nice. Fit in my trunk. I mean, Remember really, brother is God, God really does that for people? Yes, he does. I mean, God would really care about me and Bible college that I'm being a good steward, I'm not now if you're out buying forty five pizzas a week and new sneakers at hundred and fifty bucks a SWAT and Game Boy and all the games that go along to make the thing work and you're just blowing your money and then and all of a sudden you come to Oh dear God, Brother David said I could pray for my school bill. God's gonna look around and say, Yeah, enjoy your Game Boy on your way home as you're financially withdrawn. Play it on the Greyhound bus all the way home. But if you're a good steward of what God has entrusted you with, and you legitimately need something, you have every right in this world. To say, Lord, there's a promise of abundance found in verse number 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You can ask him for that and you can expect him to answer your prayer. Now, if you live like the devil, you can't, but everything going in the right direction. You can expect God to meet your needs. The promise of assurance. If I'm on your side, who can be against you? The promise of Abundance. I'll freely give you all things. By the way, if I if I didn't hesitate to, to send my son to the cross to die, what what is it to me to get your car? What is it to me to, to help you pay your school? That's nothing to me. I can do that. Why don't you just come and claim the promise? There's another promise that I want to bring your attention the next time the devil comes and starts to beat you up and lying to you. It's found in verse number 34. It says, Who is he that condemneth? By the way, good question. My wife, for years, has worked in a law office, and um, for some time she, she worked for a man that uh, was was an attorney in a in a, in a one attorney office, and uh, the Republican governor then of California appointed him to the Superior Court of the State of California. He's now a judge, dear personal friend of ours. I love him, and he loves our family. We go out to eat occasionally together, and we were we were sitting over a dinner, and I, I said. Uh, I said, I said, Your Honor, tell me something. If I'm in trouble and I'm going to go to court, does it make a difference who the judge is? He said, Man, it sure does. He said, There are judges that will throw you in jail for spitting on the sidewalk. And there are other judges that will give you 30 days for mass murder. He's been a little bit sarcastic there, but it's pretty much the truth. And you folks ever watch the news and read the newspapers. You understand how that works and how that goes. There are those that are extremely lenient, and there are those that just. By the way, our judge, my friend, he's the kind that throws you in jail for spitting on the side. I like him. I, I want to move to the district where he is so I can vote for him someday when he comes up for reelection. But I mean, he, he's he's a no nonsense kind of a judge. I, I love. He throws all these drug guys in jail and they're up there saying, "Well, Your Honor," he said, "Now you're guilty. Go to jail." And, and he's great. And he said, he said it makes a big difference who your judge is. So when the question is asked here in verse 34, who is he that condemneth? In other words, who's my judge? Who am I going to stand in front of? Who am I going to appear before? Who's my, my judge? The Bible says it is Christ. Wow. You talk about a tough judge. You know, when you go to court, the only thing that judge and jury knows about you is what the prosecuting attorney can find and tell about you. If they don't have good investigators and they don't know the whole story, they can't tell the whole story, you can cover up a bunch of junk. But our judge is Christ. He doesn't need a prosecuting attorney. He doesn't need an investigator. He knows everything we've ever done. He knows everything we've ever him doing. He knows everything we're going to do tomorrow. There's no way to wiggle out. There's no way to say, well, I didn't really mean it. He's going to look and say, yes, you did. Don't try to cover up your motives to me, sir. I, my, the eyes of the Lord look at to and fro throughout the entire earth. He sees right down to the very heart of man. He knows what's going on. So when the question was asked, who's the one that's my condemner? The question is, it's Christ. Christ is my judge. That means on that day, those of us that die without the Lord, there is no cover-up. There is no whitewash. There is no plea bargaining for mercy. There is no getting it reduced from a felony down to a mis- misdemeanor. Man, what, what he says goes. But for those of us who are saved, that's not the end of the story. Because we have the promise of an advocate. Promise of, uh, the v- v- verse number 31 says, promise of assurance Verse 32 says the promise of abundance. Verse 34 says the promise of an advocate. Look there. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Wait a minute. Here's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The judge is our advocate. Years ago, we outgrew our property, and our, our church bought a Catholic church. Don't have time to develop the whole thing and give you all the story, but uh, let, me, let me highlight some of the stuff to help you understand this. It was a it was a facility that had sixty two different classrooms in it, had an auditorium, had public men and lady restrooms in there, and and office space, and uh, located on about ten acres of property. And it was be- It was a park. You would you'd walk down by, behind the, the, the church facility and it sloped down like this several tiers and the in, end of our property r- ran right into the Raritan River. It was gorgeous. had all these sidewalks with shrubs and these nice uh, globe uh, street lamp kind of things that, that would line the sidewalks at night. It was, it was magnificent. And we bought that thing from the Catholics. They had mass there and the, the nuns actually had a residence. They lived there and, and did all their Catholic stuff there. Well, what we didn't realize when we bought it from them and, and, and the Baptists moved into the Catholic Church, some of the neighbors did not appreciate the change of use of the property. It had been very quiet before. The nuns didn't make a lot of noise as they walked around there meditating, counting their beads and walking around the roads. I mean, just didn't make a lot of noise. And the neighbors used this thing as their own local little park. And when we moved in there, they were angry. And the next thing I knew, I had one of these code enforcement officers driving down the driveway back to my office with his little yellow light flashing on his car and came in and gave me a cease and desist order. He said, you folks have changed the use of the property. You are not zoned to be here. I said, sir, this is zoned for a Catholic church. It's good for a Baptist church. He said, take it up with the court. What I didn't understand... One of the neighbors whose property joined our property line was one of the three superior court judges in our district. He didn't like us there. He was pulling strings behind the scenes. Went to court. The lower court ruled against us. Not only did he rule against us, he said, every time you use the facility... In a church-related fashion, I'm going to find you $500 per event and find you personally, Reverend, in contempt of court. Well, I got my attorney and and uh, Mr. Morelli out there, Christian man, and and he said he said, Pastor, he said, this is nonsense. There's a conditional use permit for the, that they gave for, for this to be a church. And they were church, were church, were a different denomination, of course. He said, but that makes no difference in the eyes of the law. A church is a church is a church. He said, you've got as much right to be here as the Catholic nuns had a right to be here. He said, you just keep on meeting there. He said, all these, all, all these uh, fines and all these contempt charges will be dropped as we go to the, go to the appellate court division. Well, we got to the appellate court division, and the Judge Skillman, who was one of the other three superior court judges in our district, he said, "You," t-, he said, "Mr. Morelli, bring me a sheet of paper that shows that 976 River Road had been granted a conditional use permit, and I'll let you stay there." It's built. By the way, they said it was a single-family residence. Is what the city said it was. Imagine how many kids you could have. 62 classrooms, had about 11 or 12 bathrooms in there. I mean, you talk about being stupid, you talk about being idiotic, it was. So we went down to the quarter records and pulled out where the file of 976 River Road, and guess what? There wasn't one piece of paper in the whole file. And the record keeper said, well, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry, sir. Well, that's the file. There's nothing in there. I don't know why. Duh. Can I go examine your shredding machine? It's probably still hot. My attorney said, you know what? There's another place where that thing might be found. It's uh, customary for the architect that designs these buildings to keep all these records and his files and we found the architect that had drawn the plans he was 82 years old long ago retired and he said man there are hundreds and hundreds of boxes they said i got a, a large 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 downstairs and one section in the bay i have i have all all these stored files and he said i don't know where it is you're welcome to look through there he was very kind to us he allowed us to stay there 24 days seven days just Looking and going through all these thousands of pieces of paper. We found the piece of paper. 976 River Road, conditional use permit that was attained by the Catholic Church to build, and it was legal to be used as a church. Our court date came back up to go in front of Judge Skillman. My attorney rushed in there and threw that paper down on his desk. and He said, Your Honor, we have now produced the only evidence you asked us to produce. Now make your ruling in our favor. The judge looked down at that, turned about the color of your white shirt that you young men have on, and he said, This is highly irregular. And the attorney said, Yeah, I know. He said, Your Honor might be aware that we went to the file and it was empty. It may be irregular that we found one that somebody hadn't gotten to. The judge looked at him kind of mean. So I'm going to recess for about a half an hour. Came back after half an hour and he said, here's my ruling. So I'm looking at this sheet of paper. This is just on a letterhead. It's not a a real form that they use today to grant conditional use permits. And my attorney stood and said, no, Your Honor, it's not on the form they use today because back there when that was granted, that's all the township had. They were a young, fledgling township. They didn't have all the files and forms they have today. And it was very common for them. And I can produce other evidence where they used just the, 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 the township letterhead. And he says, it's got, their, it's got their stamp on there. And the attorney says, Mr. Morelli, you be seated. He said, I find that it's not a proper document. You have until December 27th to get out of the property. My attorney jumped up and he said, "Your Honor, I smell collusion in this court." Well, I'm a Baptist preacher. I have not read the word collusion anywhere in the Bible. I didn't know what collusion was. I thought it was something that miners die from when they go down the mines and it's like gas. I didn't know what collusion. Was. I thought man shouldn't be. If you smell collusion, let's get out of here. You know, give me a gas mask or something. I, I don't want to die. Of course, found out collusion. I mean, they got together and decided the case before it was ever heard. Two buddies, you know, the Superior Court judge that was my neighbor, and, and of course, his colleague, and we were kicked out. I, just, I was broke out of money. I still owed my attorney about $25,000, $30,000. Didn't know I was going to pay him. And to go to the next appellate level is going to, he says, it's going to be another 7500000 bucks. And back in the 70s, that was a lot of money. I mean, I, we, we were tapped out. I I could not afford to be right anymore. And he said, well, you're going to have to go back down to the lower court. I said, okay, what's what's that mean? He says, well, every time you, he said, my office has kept track of this thing. We keep contacting them. He said, right now, you owe them over $15,000 of contempt fines. And you're going to go back down to court and you have one of two choices. Tell them the truth and be fined $15,000 and pay it or go straight to jail from the hearing for contempt of court. I said, what's my other choice? He said, lie and tell them you weren't there. I said, okay, I'll lie. I didn't want to go to jail. Oh, man. Our court date was set about three months out. The governor of the state of New Jersey appointed my attorney to become a judge. He could no longer represent me, which was fine because I couldn't afford him anyhow. So I walked into court by myself. Brother Newcomb, alone. Carrying a leather briefcase. I looked impressive. But nothing was in the briefcase. Judge came out. Guy had us all stand. Hear ye, hear ye. All come to order. The state of New Jersey. The Honorable Judge. Blah, 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 blah. And one of the township attorneys, there were three of them and one of me. Three real attorneys. One fake guy over here. And he said, Your Honor! But I brought my associate pastor with me because I was going to have him drive my car home for my wife. I, I was going to jail. I was going to jail. And uh, one well, of these attorneys stood here and said, Your Honor, we'd like to move for continuance. Now, I wasn't really sure what a continuance was, but I, I thought it meant we weren't going to do what we are supposed to do right then, and I was kind of liking that. I said, yeah, let's do it later. I like to procrastinate. And the judge looked at him and he said, why? He said, well, Your Honor, as you know, we're in front of Judge Kim. He said, I know the disposition of this case. I don't need you to give me a rehash of that. Tell me why you want a continuance. Oh, man, that guy's in a bad mood. He's yelling at that. What's he going to do to me? He said, well, Your Honor, we, we don't have all the evidence back. It was filed away, and we didn't get it. He said, how long have you known about this hearing? I have well, I've, we've known about it probably a couple of months. He said, yes, you have. I know you have. He said, in two months, you haven't been able to get your act together. How do I know that I'll give you another month or two, that you're not going to come back in two more? He said, hey, Your Honor, another continuance. He just looked at him, and the guy was looking at him like, like a kid that was in trouble with his dad. Then the judge looked at me. and I, Oh, don't look at me. I don't want a continuance. I, I don't know what I want. And he said, Reverend, do you see those guys over there? Yes, Your Honor, I see them. He said, do you know what they want to do? I said, I'm not sure. He said, they want you to go to jail today. They want to make a public spectacle out of you and your church. They want this on the front page of the newspapers. He said, they're waiting out there outside the court with their cameras right now. He said, and they want to postpone the hearing so they can come back and damage you with all their evidence. He said, right now they don't have any evidence that I'm going to look at. And they want me to postpone so they can nail you the next time. He said, now, Reverend... Look at me. Man, I zeroed in him like a policeman with a radar gun. He started shaking his head back and forth like this. He said, you don't want a continuance, do you? No, Your Honor. I don't want to continue it, sir. He winked at me. It's all right, what in San Francisco? <laughs> he winked at me and said, I thought that was going to be your position. And he looked back over those guys smiling. He said, I'm denying your request. He said, Reverend, I'm dismissing these contempt charges. You go home to your family. Have yourself a great day. Said I will. <laughs> I'm having a great day right now, Your Honor. And I walked out of there free and didn't have to pay fifteen thousand bucks. He said, "How'd that happen, Brother Davis? How'd you go from going to jail to going home to have cornbread with your wife?" I'm from the North Carolina, so you down there. Because my judge became my advocate now revelation 12 tells us that satan is the accuser of the brethren running up there arguing and tattled you think your little brother tattles on you, you ain't nothing like the devil running up there running off his stinking mouth all the time tattle like crazy do you see what wally did did you see what doctor i don't think the devil calls him dr jorgensen but do you see what Dr. Jorgensen did? Do you, do you, do you know what Brother Duffer is doing? On? I, and, and just accusing the brethren. And our judge, instead of saying, really? Show me the evidence. judge says, get out of my face. W- Wally isn't a sinner. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Because I'm looking at him right now. You know what I see? I see someone who's been justified. I see somebody who has been made righteous through my blood. Don't you come around here arguing about pestering him anymore. I have no interest in what you've got to say. Get out of here. Streak again. And our judge becomes our advocate. God doesn't love us? Oh, come on. God doesn't care about us. Oh, man, listen. Don't don't listen to the devil. Well, I'm having a tough time at school. Yeah. There's someone who specializes in helping people having tough times. And he said, I'm standing over here and I've got a whole handful of promises for you. There's more. I don't have time. But you have that promise of assurance. I'm on your side. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder what I'm thinking about you. I love you. I'm on your side. Promise of assurance. You have a need? I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I, I got a promise of abundance right here. If you're a good steward and you're doing what you're supposed to do, come on by and let's talk about it. I'm feeling a little bit down. I know you are. I, I just feel rotten. feel like I'm any good. I know that's how you feel. But I'm on your side. Let me argue your case for you. I have a promise of an advocate for you today. You see yourself somewhere near today? The old devil trying to mess up your life, trying to make you go a direction that the Lord does not want you to go. And by the way, you don't really want to go there either, but you just you're kind of kind of staggered. Why don't you come by and say, Lord, I need to talk to you about some of those promises today. I need one or two or three of those things. Can you help me? And by the way, the answer quickly is yes, you can.